meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, as we journey through this passage of Scripture, Father, help us to, to in, in our mind, travel to that mountains, to that hillside. Father, help us to hear the voice of Christ, to feel his passion, to feel his, the call on his life. And as he is about to transfer this amazing call into the lives of these disciples, and those that would hear him now for the next several moments as he teaches through this sermon. Father, help us to, to so listen to the Holy Spirit as he wants to speak to us, to empower us to function in this crazy, crazy world, to be a light, to be salt, to be people of power, people of purpose, People that are called to bear the name of Christ, to bear the name of Christian with a, with a sense of humility, but yet a sense of pride, with a sense of, of being somewhat weak, but yet powerful. So, Father, I just ask you now to anoint us all to hear these words afresh. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. I want you to look at this list of Beatitudes as, and I believe as I've, as I've thought of this and I've heard, heard it discussed and taught and so on, I believe that what we have here is a picture of the progression of the Christian life. Where we need to go through these steps until we get to a place in our Christian life that our faith is so strong and so powerful that if we faced persecution, we would be able to stand up in the face of it and not bend and not compromise and not give way. The early Christians faced a lot of persecution. The prophets of the Old Testament faced persecution. It seems like whenever there's light somewhere, somebody wants that light to be turned off because they like the darkness better. Amen? Isn't it interesting that when, how many of you used to be in sin? Okay, the rest of you are liars, but now you're in sin, so we're good. <laughs> we're all there. Isn't it interesting that, that people that get involved in, in illegal activities always seem like they want to make sure that it's dark? You know, it's like dark. You know, you don't want to be seen. You cover up your face. You, do, you know, there's a whole bunch of things, but it's all this issue of, you know, darkness and trying to, you know, subversiveness and deception and so on and so forth. But see, Christ says, I want you to stand out. I want you to be different. I want you to be like a light. I want you to really be noticeable. Be noticeable. But how do you get there? How do you get there? <laughs> Easy, Teresa, just settle down. <laughs> 
How do I get there? Jesus said, this is how you make the journey. Here's where you begin. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to lack something. Poor people lack things. To be poor in spirit means that I lack something. I lack true purpose. I lack what I need to know Christ, to know God, to know the Father. That means I'm dead. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, as we're told in other places. So I'm lacking something. To, to acknowledge that is the first step in this, in this pathway to Christianity. If, until you come to that place and realize, you know what? I need to be saved. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I can't be, live perfect. I can't, I can't stand before God someday and say, here, God, here's my, here's my resume. It's awesome. In fact, it's more than one page. I am, I am awesome. Let me into heaven. God says, hey, let me check your resume. Uh, oops, you're missing one, one, one particular part. I don't see anywhere on your resume where it says, accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Next. Your resume is worthless without that phrase on there. Accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Poor in spirit starts there. When you acknowledge the fact that you need a Savior, when you acknowledge the fact that, yes, I am poor, I am lacking, I cannot do this thing on my own, I need a Savior. Step number one. And it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once I accept Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven becomes mine. I'm in. I am now living as a kingdom child. Does that mean that I become perfect? Uh, no. This is the first step, the acknowledgement of sin. The acknowledgement. This step, this is the conviction step. This is conviction. You get convicted. How many of you remember that experience? You came to a place in your life where you realized, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Whether you heard it on the radio, television, somebody talked to you, a friend spoke to you, or reading the Bible, it doesn't matter how you got there, but you came to a place where you said, I need a Savior. Okay? The next step in the process, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is repentance. Repentance. There is a vast difference between saying, I'm sorry, and please forgive me. I'm sorry just means, hey, deal with me. I'm sorry. No, that's not enough. How many of you are sorry people? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry isn't enough. We have to repent. We have to change our mind about how we think about things. We have to come to a place where we realize, I am not only sorry, I, I need forgiveness. God, forgive me because I have ignored you. I have denied you. I have refused to accept Jesus Christ. I have lived my own life and I have wanted to be in charge of everything about my life. That takes repentance to turn away from that. You have to repent. There's a mourning there. You're, you're going, you, as you as an individual have to kind of die. Your ego has to die. Ouch. 
But Pastor Fred, I am an awesome person. <laughs> no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. Yeah, you know, don't ever get into a conversation with a three-year-old because that's going nowhere. <laughs> I'm an awesome kid. No, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. You know, forget it. It's a waste of time. But to mourn, to find your place at an altar, to kneel before God and to weep out all of that ego and all of that foolishness and all of that misunderstanding, to get it out, to just weep that out, mourning. Guess what? Who comes along your side and lifts you up? The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He convicts you. And then he comes alongside of you during your repentance experience and he raises you up and you are comforted. Do you remember how you felt after you accepted Jesus? It's like you'd just been under a waterfall and everything had been washed away. And it was like, ah, I'm saved. Then, depending on your personality, you probably just went nuts. You know, you got excited because the the truth of that hit you, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes in. Verse number, I gotta get new glasses. Five. Thank you. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. After repentance, there's something very powerful that happens, and that is that you now have been endued with power from God. But it's power that has to be under control. Meekness is not weakness. Okay, That's important to understand. Meekness is power under control. Because now you realize that someone else is in charge of your life. Meekness is giving control of your decisions to him, to Christ. That's meekness. Now, I heard, I heard or read somewhere, historically, it says that the Roman soldiers, particularly the ones that had horses, the cavalry, they would train their horses in such a way that they would listen to that soldier's command in any situation, anywhere, anytime. In other words, they were so under control that in a battle situation, that horse would respond instantly to any command that soldier gave it. And the way that they checked, they call it meeking the horse, meeking the horses. And the way they did it to know for sure that this horse was ready was they would stand the horse and they would take some coals of fire, just a little small coal of fire, and they would slide that under the horse and tell that horse to hold position. Horses hate fire. They're deaf, they just can't stand it. And so when that soldier would do that and realize that horse would just stand there solid, firm, not move, not skittish, nothing, move, stand solid. The soldier knew that that horse had been meeked. The power was now under control. He was in the complete control of that soldier. And he knew that that horse now was ready for battle. That's what it means to be meeked. Are you in a place in your life where the enemy will come along and slide something into your life and you will 
Do you run and hide, or do you simply stand firm and say, nothing moves me? Nothing can move me. This I am committed. I am a child of God. Is that all you got, devil? What is it that caused the people, if you've ever, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, what is it that would cause those people to be taken into the Colosseum and attacked by animals and set on fire? I mean, just horrendous, horrendous death. And in the midst of that, they would be singing praises to God. That so messed up the minds of the Romans as they're watching this. They're going, this Jesus must have been the real deal. Because it, it allowed the name of Christ to be named. Meekness is power under control. The power of your choice and your will handed over to Christ means that you are now meek. It's going to take a little more than a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? You have to make a decision. This is a powerful truth. Because what does Jesus say about the meek? They will inherit the earth. Meek people will take over things. They take over. Not, not, they don't just walk in and say, all right, I'm in charge now. No, they come in humbly and quietly, and God then begins to open up doors of opportunity. How many of you have seen that happen in, in your workplace? You have, where doors that should not have opened, open. And doors that should have closed, didn't. You know what that is? Meekness. God can trust meek people. God will use meek people. He allows them to begin to step into positions of influence and things begin to happen. You see, it was through Jesus' crucifixion and then his resurrection again that the disciples, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they became meek. Prior to that, they were a little, yeah, I'm not so sure. The enemy had come in and put some fire under them. And they realized, whoa, and didn't sign up for this program. And they stepped away. And then Jesus returned. They were empowered. They were filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, which gave them the power to be meek, strong, under control, able to do the will of God. It's powerful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I love new Christians. You know why? All they want to do is read the Bible and talk about it. They are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they've been on a diet of failure and doubt and fear and trash. And all of a sudden now, their appetite is wet for righteousness and truth and so they begin to find places where there are Bible studies, where there are worship services, where there are concerts, where there are play churches that are teaching the word. And they just are drawn to those places. I want to know. I want to know what this is all about. I want to know what this means. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. 
What causes us to become less hungry and thirsty? Well, you get full, right? You know, we're like the little kid at school. Teacher, may I go home? My brain is full. I think I have students like that in the college. My brain is full. Really? Amazing. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's the promise? We, they will be filled. They will be filled. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and studying and all of a sudden a light comes on? It's like, whoa! That's amazing. I've never seen that before. It comes alive. That's Jesus' promise, that you will be filled. If you hunger and thirst for the truth, for righteousness, for the how to do it the right way. I love a paraphrase from the, uh, from the 23rd Psalm. It says, he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The paraphrase I heard years ago was this. He will show me the right way because his reputation is at stake. Amen? If you'll hunger and thirst to do it the right way, you'll find it. You will be filled. Great promise. All right, we're flying here. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You see, the, the longer that you are involved in the Christian life, the more merciful you will become. It's the mature Christian that understands how important it is to be merciful to other people. Now, how many of you struggle like me with, I don't like people cutting in front of me. I don't like people getting in front of me in lines. I'm important. My time is valuable. I don't have time for you to stand there and think and wonder. I'm so glad that people that are in front of me in their car cannot hear what I'm sharing in my car. Because <laughs> I would be in so many wars and fights, it wouldn't be funny. You'll back me up, thank you. <laughs> so all I need is a biker girl to back me up. I'm good. <laughs> I'm safe now. But that happens. Mercy is not the first thing that comes to mind when someone has, has offended us or failed us or, or caused us to be hurt. We don't immediately go to, oh, I'll just, I'll just show mercy. I'll show mercy after I'm done with them. <laughs> After I give them a piece of my mind, trust me, none of us have enough mind to be handing pieces of it away. <laughs> we don't have that much. But mercy, it, it causes us to take a moment and try to step into that individual's life to figure out what it is that's causing them pain so that I can have mercy and encourage them and help them. That's what it means to have mercy. Yeah, it's not the... Uh, here, Pat, give me your hands. It's not this game where I try to bend her hand and she screams mercy. That's not, what, that's not mercy. That's a game that I played. And my hands are still messed. No, it's not. Mercy. Jesus promises us that if we will show mercy, if we will be merciful, then we will be shown mercy. Later on, he says, if we forgive 
then our Heavenly Father will also forgive us. But he also says the opposite, the other side of that coin is if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. If you make it your vision or goal in life to, to be the person that meets out justice in every situation, then justice will be meted out on you. You see, when I stand before God, I don't want justice. I want mercy. When I go to... Well, I don't, haven't been doing it lately, thank the Lord. But if I you know, got a traffic ticket and had to go to court, judge, I don't want justice. Forget that. Mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Just what mercy? Please. So it's, it's one of those amazing gifts that God provides for us. He grants us mercy. And if we'll do the same, we'll receive that mercy. He continues on then in verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity of heart has to do with motivation. What is it that motivates you through life? What is, it, what is it that drives you, that gets you up out of bed in the morning, other than the fact you have to go to the bathroom, but what is it that drives you out of bed in the morning and it drives you to work and it drives you to, to keep moving on and to going and doing and so on and so forth? It's motivation. There's something inside of you that motivates you. For the world, it's either money or fame or power. For the Christian... I believe that we need to have a purity of heart. Our motivation for life needs to be who can I, who is it that I can encourage today, that I can pray with today, that I could tell them about Jesus today, that I could somehow make their life just a little simpler than, it, than the complication that it is. In heart, to have the heart of Christ. And Jesus, you know, he went around doing amazing things. Paul says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. The purity of our heart has to become one of, I'm, I'm getting up this morning to glorify God. I'll do it as, I, I'll do it as I'm driving. I will do it when I'm working. I will do it. In family relationships, I will do it. In other words, how, what is it that I can accomplish today that will bring glory to God? That's a huge assignment. I mean, that's unbelievable. But it's part of the process. It's part of the growing and developing and maturing process in, in being a Christian. To have that purity of heart, to know that today I will let people see my good works. Not so that I'll get an attaboy or a certificate or a plaque or a trophy. You may get those anyway, whatever. But that God would smile, would look down on you and smile and say, that's one of mine. That's my boy. That's my daughter. That's my kid. Angels, come here. See? See what they're doing? Is that amazing or what? They're in pain and they're still ministering to other people. That's pretty amazing. I like that person. I want God to talk about me. Amen? I want God to talk about me. Pure in heart. What's the promise there? He says, for they will see God. They will see God. That's awesome. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers. Are you, seeing, are you seeing the progression here in the Christian life, the maturity as it grows here? Jesus, it, he's adding more and more to our responsibility. And then he says, once, you've, once you become pure in heart, once you're all about glorifying God, I want you to become this, a peacemaker. What's the difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? Apparently there's no difference. Okay, good. No, a peacekeeper is the master of compromise. They will do whatever it takes to make everybody happy. Is it possible to make everybody happy? No, that's not possible. And so a peacemaker takes the authority in a situation and will initiate either an apology, forgiveness, so that there is movement to reconciliation. The strong person, the strongest person, will always initiate the peace. The strong person will always initiate the peace. Who sent Jesus to the earth? God did, right? Was there a committee that got together one day and said, you know, this earth is really nasty. This is a horrible place. We need a savior. Let's take a vote. All in favor, raise your hand. Okay, now we need a spokesperson. Okay, you call God, tell him we need a savior. God, hello. We're in a mess down here on earth. It's awful. We need a savior. Did you send us one? Well, hang on, I'm really kind of low on saviors. Let me look around. No. The earth did not initiate the peace. God did. God said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God initiated the peace. God became the peacemaker. Jesus came to this earth as a peacemaker. The amazing thing is that when you become a peacemaker you become a threat to people that don't like peace. Amen? When you step in to begin to do and influence and generate peace, people will not like you. Some people will come against you. But yet, that's what we're called to do. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. As a Christian, as we mature, we become more and more peacemakers. We get saved. Now, how many of you have, has this actually happened to you? You got saved and you went to a relative or a friend or somebody that you'd been holding a grudge against for years and you made it right. Anybody ha that happened to anybody? Well, if it hasn't, it will. Give it time. But you all of a sudden now, instead of just being an accommodator or a peacekeeper, in other words, you'd go to a family, get together, and what would you do? Avoid that person like they were, had leprosy, right? Just if they're in one room, you go to the next room. You find out they're coming, and you go, oh, I'm really sick, man, I can't make it. You lie, you compromise, you hide. Instead of going to that individual and saying, you know what, Rose, you and I have been hating each other for years. 
and it's been your fault. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. Uh, no, that's not how we do it. Okay, Rose, I, want, I am sorry. I need you to forgive me. I'm going to forgive you. Let's make this right. Let's enjoy our life together. Let's make peace. Okay? That's the difference. As opposed to saying, well, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to be a peacekeeper. I'm just not going to rock the boat. Just going to stay away from that person. I'm not going to cause any issues. Da, da, da. That's not what Jesus said. Be a peacemaker. Take that step. Be that person of influence. Exercise your strength and make a difference. It's a whole lot more fun when you can go to a family gathering and enjoy yourself as opposed to saying now, let's see, who is it that I have to stay away from? I can't remember now. Oh, no. That's ridiculous. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that Jesus said, he starts out with kingdom of heaven, he ends with kingdom of heaven. Persecution sometimes could lead to death. It has in the lives of millions. But the reward is kingdom of heaven. Persecuted. But he qualifies this very carefully here. He's persecuted because of righteousness. And then he repeats it again. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. It's because of Christ. Not because, you know, you're just being dumb or you're just doing stupid things. That's not persecution. That's your own fault. But when you name the name of Christ, when you claim the claim of Christ, people around the world that are being persecuted today, this moment, they're in prison. They're in hiding. They're facing death. They have, they have watched family members persecuted, and yet their faith remains strong. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have that to look forward to. They know that it is yet to come. The issue of persecution. And here's how, here's what he said. Here's how we, here's how we are to act in the midst of all of this. Verse 12. Whine and be sad because life is going to be tough. Because they persecuted the people before you and you're going to get hammered too, so just hang on. Hold the fort. I'm on my way. You can do this. Oh, wait, I'm reading from the wrong translation. I apologize. Rejoice and be glad. I'm getting beat up and I'm supposed to rejoice? Wait a minute. Where did that happen in the Bible? Oh, Paul and Silas. In Philippi. They've got a young slave girl who's a psychic following them around going, hey everybody, listen to these guys. They have the truth. They're going to tell you about Jesus. These guys are awesome. Now that's really bad advertisement. Right? That's just, that's just weird. And it, this would go on for several days. And finally, Paul just got tired of it. And he turned around and he said, uh, that would be enough, thank you. Spirit, come out of her in Jesus' name. I'm done with that. 
Guess what? Spirit left. She now is no longer valuable because she, could, she can't you know, do all these little magic tricks and so on and so forth. And so the people that owned her became very angry, grabbed Paul and Silas, lied about them, beat them publicly. They were then taken to a prison, thrown into the prison. And uh, those prisons were not like cell blocks with stainless steel toilets and sinks and these bars you could look through and all that. They were normally just like a cave kind of a situation. Stocks, they were probably seated on the ground, their legs spread apart, put into wooden stocks. They were chained in such a way that their heads were then down, probably touching the ground. They were in this horrible position and left there. Now, Paul's response to that was what? Paul and Silas, at the midnight hour, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is so good. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It's echoing through the prison. And then there's a really great story, really great end to that story. God goes, <clears throat> angels, come here a minute. See that? That's ridiculous. The, uh, that's, I don't like that. Fix that. Go down there and fix that. I don't know if it was one angel, a couple angels. Grab the sides of that prison. Good job. Well done. Come on home. Okay, Paul, you're free. But instead of disappearing, why was he there? What was he there about? To touch the life of an individual. What happened? The jailer started the journey of the Beatitudes. Right? First thing out of his mouth. His, his, he, he, was, he was destined to die because that prison had just been, all those prisoners were free to go. Fortunately, none of them left. He immediately said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? He realized he was poor in spirit. He repented, and then the process began. It's a great picture. That's how it works. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Are you giving, are you giving the Lord a reason to rejoice and be glad? You see, life in itself is not persecution. We, we all make mistakes. We all do silly things, you know, and so on. But that's why we have 1 John 1, 9. If we sin, he's faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just pick right back up. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to go through this list very quickly. Our time is gone. When I get to an area that you believe God is dealing with you and the Holy Spirit wants to help you improve and encourage you and so on and so forth, I, just want, I want you to stand up. Listen carefully. Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you don't know Christ and you need to meet him today. That's your chance to stand. Those who mourn, they will be comforted. Maybe you need to be comforted today. You've got some areas you need to kind of repent over, change a few things. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Maybe you're still 
fighting with God a little bit about decisions. You know, maybe God's not got all the decisions. He's not in charge completely yet. You still need to be meeked a little bit more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You gotta you need to need a little more hunger. You need to be a little more hungry and a little thirstier because you're just not you're not going after the word like you used to. You need to do that a little more. You'll notice I'm standing for all of these. Merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'm gonna raise my hand on that one. God help me with mercy. Help me be a little more merciful. Not quite so judgmental. The pure in heart, for they will see God. God, purify my heart. God, help me to get up every day and seek a way to glorify your name. Pure in heart. The peacemakers. Maybe you've got to work on that one a little bit. I need to be a better peacemaker. And finally, God, help me to rejoice and be glad when I face the challenges of life. And because I'm a Christian, I just get jabs. But Father, Jesus took a whole lot of jabs for me, so it's okay. Let me pray with you. You know, the amazing thing is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're all, we've all been working through this process. We have all been on this journey together. And that's the cool thing about it. Jesus, at the end of Matthew, says, now go and make disciples. Take people through the Beatitudes. Help them to see it and understand it. And guess what? I am with you all the time. I am with you. I am with you. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for reminding me again today of why I'm here, what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to be doing. Father, help us along this journey as we travel through the Beatitudes. Thank you, God, that there was a day in our lives when we realized we were poor in spirit. We needed to correct that. Thank you, Lord, that we we went through the repentance time, the morning, God. Thank you, Lord, that we've traveled through many of these things, God. That you've meeked us, you've helped us to be merciful, you've challenged us to be peacemakers. Father, you've, you've encouraged us to move forward in areas of motivation, purity of heart. But Father, help us, God, to be strong because we're living in such a weird time that persecution may come in whatever form that it may take. And so, Father, help us by the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rejoice and be glad because we know that ours is the kingdom of heaven. And that is a reason to be rejoicing and to be glad. Father, we love you today and we thank you so much. Father, again, I pray your, your healing touch to be in Pastor Darrell's life. Minister strength and health to him in Jesus' name and let it begin even this moment. And Father, touch Don Minkley, who desperately needs a miracle in his life, God. 
Cleanse his body, God, and restore him in Jesus' name. And Father, minister, again, health and strength to each one that's here today. And Father, as we share the blessing of the Lord, may it empower us to walk out of this place understanding who it is that we are and whose we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go share that with somebody. Anybody. Everybody. Amen. And just to set the record, thank you. Just to set the record straight, Rose and I love each other. We're the best of buddies. <laughs>